Jesus, we're here today because we need to hear from you. And we're here today because we believe in you in different measures, God, in different ways and in the different things that we've experienced, we've carried that in today. And right now, Lord, we and I want to surrender those things to you, lay that in front of you, knowing that you are our God and that despite the battles that we face, you are mighty and you are powerful. We declare that today here in your church, that you are king here and that you have the victory. And we pray, Father, that we may be able to hear from you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been excited for something? So excited that you are counting down the days. I remember as a child, my family once in a while would go to this restaurant called TGI Fridays. And I remember when I got old enough, I asked my mom, what does TGI Friday mean? And she's like, oh, it's a phrase that people use. They're so thankful to God that it's Friday. And I was like, why, because it's Sabbath? No. She was like, no, it's because it's the weekend. And I remember thinking like, wow, people really have to count down the days. They're really waiting for the weekend to happen. And sometimes we count down waiting for Christmas. Some of the students here are counting down waiting for Thanksgiving vacation to finally be done with school just for a second. Some of you are counting down some of the students waiting for graduation so they can finally go off to college. And I happen to know that people in college are counting down waiting so that they can finally come home. We are always waiting for something special. But this past week is an anniversary of a really special date that people were waiting for. When we consider the things in our lives that we're excited about, birthdays, Christmases, some of us waiting to get married, the most exciting day that sometimes we don't always think about is the day when Jesus returns. Imagine that. When was the last time you thought about heaven? When was the last time that you even stopped to consider that this world is not all that there is? that despite the pain and the suffering and the battles that we feel in our soul every day, that one day Jesus is going to come and the heavens will open, there will be the sound of the trumpet, and we will be redeemed, that our bodies, our sicknesses will be no more, that we're going to see the people that we love again. Imagine counting down to that day. Imagine knowing that that day was on its way. 169 years ago, this past Tuesday, and it was a Tuesday, 169 years ago as well, a group of people, the Millerites, believed that Jesus was coming back October 22, 1844. And they didn't just believe it like we believe it, like we say, oh, Jesus is coming back, praise the Lord. They believed it. They sold their homes so that they could have enough money to tell everybody about it. Those who were farmers, they didn't even harvest their crops because they were so certain that Jesus was going to come back. Why would they need the food? People had loved ones who passed away in that month, the months before that, and they didn't even mourn. Why be sad? Because Jesus is coming again. And they were so anticipating this glorious day. Imagine that. Up at PUC, they challenged some of the students to come out on Monday at midnight to come out and meet on the lawn and gather together and consider, look up into the sky and consider, what if you expected Jesus to come? Because that's what they did that day, the morning of October 22. They started Monday at midnight, and they came out into the fields and they gathered thousands of people, and they started to stare up into the sky. The sick came out in their beds knowing, so excited, because they were so certain that after this day was over, they would not be sick anymore. 
And those who had just lost loved ones came out so excited because they were gonna see their mother, their father, their sister, their daughter again. And they came out staring into the heavens and as the dawn broke that day, there was so much chatter and so much excitement, so many testimonies of how excited people were that Jesus was finally gonna come back. And as the day wore on, I'm sure they got a little hungry. Maybe they had lunch at noon joking about how they, the next time they ate, they were gonna be eating the giant mangoes in heaven. So excited. And as the day wore on and it came to evening, some people probably started to doubt, but I'm sure I could just imagine them putting their arms around each other and saying, don't worry, Jesus is coming. Jesus is on his way. But I imagine as the night faded and the hours got later and the night got darker and the hours went by and they stared into the heavens waiting at any moment for it to break open and to hear the trumpets and see the angels. And there were no trumpets and there were no angels. And they were confused and they waited and they waited and they waited and it was midnight. And now it's October 23 and Jesus is not here. One man who was a Millerite wrote this testimony. He said, I waited all Tuesday, October 22, and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday. He even waited through Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was, but after 12 o'clock, I began to feel faint and before dark, I needed someone to help me up to my chamber as my natural strength was leaving me very fast and I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. Imagine waiting and being so certain. They had miscalculated. They shouldn't have believed it. God said, we don't know the day or the time, but they had decided and they had believed. They had given everything that they had because they believed that Jesus was coming and he didn't arrive. What would you do? A question that was posed was up up at PUC where the students were gathering was, if this was you, would you have been able to stay in your faith? And if so, what would have kept you? The thing that I consider is many of us go through anxiety as we go through fear, fear of disappointment, fear in many different areas in our lives is how is it that they were able to pick up and continue because 163 years later, the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists. And it exists out of a group of people from that original group of Millerites who decided to bear testimony that faith can exist even after the most crushing of disappointment. So how did they do that? How is it that they were able to face that anxiety and that fear in their lives to pick up and continue and to have faith? This morning, if you came in here and you were stressed about something, if you experienced a stressful and anxious and fearful week, many of you have, I know that I did, then this morning God has a word for us, a word of encouragement and a how we can remain in the midst of all of this. And it's found in Philippians chapter four, verse six. In the verse, two verses before this, it says, rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice in everything. And then it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now to me, when I read that, that is not really a comforting verse. Because the most annoying thing I can experience when I'm stressing out about something is for someone to say to me, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry. And I look at them, and I kinda wanna smack them a little bit, because I'm like, if 
I wanted to worry. I mean, if I could stop worrying, don't you think I would have done that on my own? Why are you telling me not to worry? Don't give me cliches. Don't brush me off. And sometimes I look at this and I think, that's kind of God brushing us off. Just don't be anxious. It's okay. Until we remember that Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. And he didn't just write this anywhere from his comfortable house. He wrote this from prison. He was in prison for two years. He wrote this from prison where at any day, his life could come and be taken away from him, held in horrible conditions. And even in the midst of, that hor- of those horrible conditions and all of this anxiety and stress, I'm sure he must have experienced, this is what he says. This is the message he wants all of us to know. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. That's what he says. He says, you know what, I know that fear and stress and anxiety are such a real part of your life, but he's saying here, don't let it be. But the reality is that fear and stress and anxiety are all over us. They're in every area of our lives. If you consider in your life, what is your biggest problem right now? What is your anxiety and your stress? Pull it up in your mind. It won't be hard to find it. And the reality is that whatever it is that we worry about, whether it's people, whether it's finances, whether it's specific situations, whether we fear rejection, we're stressed about tests and classes, we're wondering if God is ever going to send us the help that we finally need, whether we struggle with people at work, at home, in our churches, all of that stress and anxiety, these things are just constants in our lives. And we, for some reason, have decided that that's just the way that life is. But God is saying something different. God is saying that even though you live in this world, you are citizens of a different kingdom. And since you are citizens of heaven, you can experience that here on earth, and this is how. But one question I had was, why is it that we're so fearful? I read a book called The Shack. I'm sure many of you have read it. It was a New York Times best-selling book. And this statement really stood out to me, and so I'm going to share it with you this morning. This, this man asks Jesus, why is it that I'm so fearful? And Jesus says, it's a long quote, but he says, you're fearful because you don't believe. You don't know that I love you. The person who lives by their fears will not find freedom in my love. To the degree that those fears have a place in your life, you neither believe that I am good nor know deep in your heart that I love you. You sing about it. You talk about it but you don't know it. That really silenced me because this is not just something that an author made up. This is something that our scripture tells us as well in 1 John, that there's no room in love for fear, that well-formed love banishes fear, since fear's crippling a fearful life is one not yet fully formed in love. God is saying, look at those places in your life where you have anxiety and stress. Anxiety and stress are symptoms of fear. And wherever fear is present in your life, my love is not present in your life. My love has not been perfected in your life. And when I stopped to consider that problem, that problem we just pulled up in our minds, and realized, do I really believe that God is taking care of this? I realized that it was so true that in my life, the depth of my doubt is the depth to which I'm not believing in God. If I'm worrying about money, it's because... Even though I say it, I sing it, I talk about it, I don't really think that God owns it all. And if I do, I don't think he's going to share it with me. If I'm worrying about my future, even though I say that God is in charge, 
It's because I don't really think he'll be there when I get there. If I'm worrying about someone that I love, it's because even though I say that God watches over us, that God loves our family members and those we love more than we do, I don't really believe he's gonna take care of them. That's what we're saying. Wherever there is fear and anxiety, we're pretty much saying, God, even though I sing about it and talk about it, I don't really think you're gonna come through. That's exactly what fear does in our lives. So what is it? What is it that we're afraid of? And how can we not experience that? Because the reality is even though we accept anxiety in our lives, we say this is just part of what it means to live my life. In the original language in Matthew, this is what anxiety means. Anxiety is self-centered, counterproductive worry that carries traces of attempting to carry the burden of the future oneself, especially about things over which we have no control. That is not of God. As we consider the things that come into our minds and come into our hearts, we have to ask ourselves, is this from God or is this from the enemy? Because we are in the middle of a very real battle every single day in our lives. And this is God telling us anxiety and this self-obsession about things that we can't control, that is not from him. That is from the enemy. And God says today, I want you to have freedom from that. God says to you and to me today, I want your lives here on this earth, even though you are citizens of my kingdom, but you live in another place, I want you to have freedom from that. The apostle Paul found freedom in that. This group of Millerites, and we'll look at that a little bit more in a little bit, found freedom somehow in that. And God is saying, I want that freedom to be all of ours today. And he says, this is how we're going to find it. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to me. Don't be anxious. Anxiety doesn't have to have a place in your life. And this is how we fight it, with prayer and petition. Because when we are stressing out about something, the reality is we're looking at ourselves and God is saying, don't look at yourself, look at me. Stop looking at yourself, you have no power, you have no control. Look at me, the one with all the power and all the control. And if your fear is a statement that you don't trust me, then open up whatever it is that you don't trust me with and let me have a shot at it. Pray about it, open it up. And don't just pray, but petition. Don't just ask once. I have a tendency to do that. God, I already talked to you about it once. Don't just ask once. Ask again and again and again because every time you ask, when you continue to ask, you continue to believe that God is gonna come through. He says pray and petition, pray and petition. And no, it's not the same thing to worry about it. Sometimes I think that if I'm worrying about it, God knows what I'm thinking and so that's a prayer. That's not the same thing. Don't worry about it. Open it up to God and say, God, here's the situation. Here is my lack financially. Here is this person that I can't seem to deal with in my life. Here is the issue. I'm opening it up to you and I will ask you again and again and again until you deliver. But it's more than praying and petitioning. We also have to give thanks. This is one that I frequently forget. In fact, yesterday, I was dealing with anxiety and I was praying and petitioning and I'm like, God, why is it that, I'm, that this is not going away? Why is it that I still feel anxious? And it was then that I looked at the verse and I remembered, I'm not just supposed to pray and petition, I'm also supposed to give thanks. I'm not just supposed to ask God and to believe somehow that he's gonna deliver, but I'm supposed to remember the times that he already has. I'm supposed to pull out the receipts of the miracles that he's done in my life so that I remember that the same God that did those things will do that in my future. 
One thing that I brought with me this morning is this bag. It literally is a bag of receipts. I came here to San Diego four or so years ago as a literature evangelist, a coal porter. And it's a long story of how that happened, but every single day I would wake up and I would just really have a hard time believing that God was going to help me in the ministry that day, that anybody at any door was going to say yes. As a literature evangelist, if you have a 15% acceptance rate, as in 15% of people you talk to say yes to you, you're having a really good day which means that the rest of the time, people are slamming doors, they're throwing water balloons at you, they're sending their dogs after you, and it's not any less hot, and your feet don't hurt any less, but that's just the reality of it. And every morning, I would wake up and face this day and wonder, God, are you gonna come through? And so I started to save some of these receipts, and I even pulled them out last night, I looked at them and I remembered, wow, here's the, the total for the day, here's all those books, every single situation that God was able to come through and deliver some message to somebody, and he used me. And every morning I would pull them out and be like, God, you did it yesterday, I know you can do it today. That's what God asks us to do in our lives, is to pull out our receipts of his blessings and say, God, you did it in the past, I know you're gonna do it again. God says, you, you want to be free from anxiety? You want to be free from this, this tool, this garment of heaviness that the enemy uses to hold you down and keep you fearful? This is what you do. You pray about it. You open it up to me. You ask me to be powerful. You don't just ask once. You ask again and again and again. And when you do, you remember. You remember all the times that I've already come through for you. That's what he says. And this is the promise. He says, if you will do that, if you will step forward and do that in faith, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. God says, let's make a trade. You give me your anxiety and fear, and I give you peace. It sounds so great, but the reality is it will still cost us. That's the reason why we don't do it all the time is because it costs us. And what it costs us, what it costs me every time I do it is my sense of control. Is my sense of saying that, God, I'm gonna give you all the control as though my worrying had control over anything anyways. But that's what God says, give me your sense of control because that's where your anxiety is coming from. Surrender that to me. And in its place, I will give you peace. And it's not just any peace, it's peace that passes understanding because if you notice, he doesn't say that he's necessarily gonna change our situation right that moment. When Paul was writing this, he remained in prison. The reason it doesn't make sense is because even though nothing has changed, something in us has changed. Something in, in us is being transformed and renewed day by day. And this isn't a peace that comes and goes. This kind of peace, it guards our hearts and our minds, guarding like a sentinel guards a city. God says, I will station my peace in your heart, in your mind, so that these, these thoughts that you have that tell you that I'm not gonna be there, I'm gonna help you with that. In your heart where you're all over the place and so emotional, I will stand guard at the door of your heart and my peace will guard you so that you will be free from that anxiety so that though you walk in this world, you are of my kingdom, you belong to me and you can have freedom. That's what God says. God says, give me the anxiety. You don't have to live with that. It's time for peace. As you know, 169 years ago, the Millerites experienced something that was very stressful. 
And one of those people who were standing out in the lawn, looking into the heavens, waiting for Jesus to return, was a woman who was one of our church founders, Ellen G. White. And this is a woman who went through that very difficult circumstance, and not just that, she experienced it all. She experienced debilitating sickness that hurt her health forever. She experienced marital problems, if you would read the letters she wrote between her and her husband. She experienced problems with her children. She had children that passed away. She experienced financial problems and all kinds of things, the depths of human suffering. And yet she was able to find this reality, this reality that I believe sustained her, that can sustain us in these circumstances in 2 Corinthians 4, that these hard times, and this is from the Message Bible, these hard times, whatever problems we've pulled up, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. When I was colportering, I remember that I was there because I was struggling immensely in my life, and I heard this song, and it was called Heaven is Cheap Enough. It said, he's coming soon, just a little longer. Don't be impatient. Use your time wisely. Stand firm in your faith. Endure the small things because when it's over, you'll be much stronger. And then it said, heaven is cheap enough. And I wondered, this situation I'm going through does not seem small to me. Where did this come from? And I realized that it came from a vision that Mrs. White had, her first vision. This woman who had gone through so many things, she said that she had a vision of entering into heaven, and she stood with so many people that had been disappointed but chose to remain faithful through all of that. And she said, they heard a voice say, you have washed your robes in my blood. You have stood stiffly for my truth. Enter in. Imagine that standing at the gates of heaven, hearing, you have washed your robes in my blood. You have stood stiffly for my truth. Come in. And she said this. She said that as they stood in front of the glory of God, that they tried to call up their greatest trials, But their greatest trials looked so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded them. And they could not speak them out and they cried out, hallelujah, heaven was cheap enough. That everything that I had to suffer through and all this anxiety and stress and giving God that control, it was cheap enough because now I'm here and I'm in the presence of you, God, and the things that are temporary have passed away And it was worth it. I can't even remember what they were. Heaven was cheap enough. And we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until heaven to experience some of that because wherever God is king, his kingdom is there. Is he king in your life? Because God is saying, I want to trade something with you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your sense of control. You're going to have to do it even when it feels like it's the last thing that you want to do but I'll make a trade with you. And I promise having my kingdom in your life is cheap enough. It's worth it. He says, give me your anxiety and stress. Get away, get away, get in silence and lay in front of me what it is that you're struggling with. Lay it in front of me again and again. Lay in front of me all the things that I've already done in your life and let's make a trade. Give me your, give me your anxiety and I will give you my peace. That's what he says. So that one day it will be us because one day it will be us. I know we've been waiting for 169 years, which means we're 169 years closer, and he's coming. He is on his way. And when it's our turn, 
we want to live that vision, to stand in front of him and say, God, it was cheap enough. Every time I had to give you the control, every time I had to let you reign in my life, and all the struggles that I had to go through for you, it was worth it to stand in front of you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And to know that we lived his kingdom now. We lived his kingdom in freedom from fear. And we didn't just sing about it. We didn't just talk about it. But we let him unseat the deep fears in our hearts. As the band comes up for the closing song, I'd like to ask you to consider how great is your God? How big is he that he could deliver? How much bigger is he than we are? And to declare that, to take the focus off ourselves for this time and this space and give that focus to the only one who is able to control all of these things.